We are live. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to BHIS Talking About News. We got a smaller group here today. It's it's what we call intimate. It's kind of like hanging out in my basement level intimate. <laughs> Maybe a little bit creepy, but that's okay. And John, yes, why did you I know. Me here today? <laughs> yeah, why did I invite you here today? And yes, the uh, I do have a lot of skis behind me. If people bring that up oh. in the comments, and no, I am very, very, very bad at doing any wiring in my open ceiling basement. But the joke that we used to say all the time at BHIS, we don't have ceilings. That's how we keep our costs low. Uh, so, <laughs> so let's go ahead. Let's kick off the intro music. Let's get started. Today, we'll be talking about Mimecast being hacked. We'll be talking about uh, vaccine data being hacked. We'll be talking about Microsoft and Linux BFFs. And then we're going to be talking about a dark web transactional marketplace going down. All coming up next. Let's get started. Let's talk about that Mimecast thing. Uh, Ryan, can you bring that up? <laughs> now, there's a lot of companies that are implementing security and they're layering it on top of things like Office 365. And one of the big concerns that I think has been showing up in the industry and has been popping up more and more and more is who do we actually trust? So if you look at the Solar Winds hack, right? We all trusted Solar Winds. And, you know, put it in the middle of our network, right? Some of the most sensitive access. And dang, if it didn't get hacked and then that had some really bad repercussions for the security industry as a whole. Well, there's another story that's out right now where Mimecast, who actually works with uh, securing Office 365 instances, uh, one of their certificates, one of their supply chain certificates was hacked. We're not getting a lot of details right now from Mimecast, uh, but basically the way Mimecast works whenever it's actually hooked into your Office 365 environment is it has a tremendous amount of access to Mimecast customers' email. And by a tremendous amount, I mean like all of it. So with this particular breach, Mimecast is saying 10% of their total customers have been compromised. That's about 3,600 organizations. And this isn't something that could just be fixed right away. Very similar to the Solar Winds hack. You can't just patch it, fix it, and walk away. If Mimecast has to go through and reissue all of its certificates, what Microsoft is forcing them to do, that is a significant work item. And right now, they expect that that work item is going to take them until about the 16th of this month to start purging the rest of those certificates out that were hacked by the hackers. So if you're not that technical, the point of what we're going to be talking about here in a second is we trust certain vendors. We put these vendors at the heart of our security, and it really creates a scenario where we're back to having single points of failure. And many of these single points of failure are just necessary for the way that we actually have to work in the IT industry as a whole. But this is yet another reminder of just how bad this can be. So, Ralph, I wanted to get your opinion on this. What do you, what do you think of this Mindcast hack? Uh, I think it's pretty interesting. I, I know that w there have been some other uh, hacks on certificate registrars or anyone else who's you know issuing certificates, and it, it does tend to. And I think a couple of those have actually ended up um, pretty much going out of business too, especially when they weren't doing their due diligence. This is not mm -hmm. that case, right? This is actually like them getting compromised and then going from there and spreading. So I mean, it's slightly different, but uh, still kind of a mess to clean up, you know. Uh, and I also think it's interesting, too, on Office 365. I actually read another article uh, today 
about um, some CVEs in Office 365 and actually getting uh, remote code execution on Exchange in Office 365. Um, and in fact, them going through the process of submitting these CVEs, these are pretty recent CVEs, and actually them patching it four times as they came out with different ways to, to compromise it the same way. And my point of that- but we've seen that a number of times already from Microsoft, where there's a vulnerability, they patch it. They didn't patch it completely. They had to yep. patch it again. Yep. Yep. Is yep. that just in the news more, or do you, are you kind of getting a feeling like maybe they might be slipping a little bit with some of their patches QA? I don't know. And like the researcher had told them, like, hey, you need to focus more on this. And it's kind of like they came back around, and it was like four rounds of going through. And uh, I guess my point of bringing that story up as it relates to Office 365 and Mimecast is that as we move to the cloud, as we move to more giving away this, uh, you know, kind of ownership piece, we lose some of that control in the sense of not a patch. Okay. Not, yeah. you know, we're just relying on the vendor to take, take onus of security. And, and, and that's for most organizations, that's something that they happily are excited about, but don't be surprised if you are a victim of kind of a broader attack because now it affects a lot more people than it possibly would have before, right? So, but that's but that's actually kind of a good thing, right? I mean, look, I always look at it from the news story narrative, right? So, if one of Mimecast's customers gets hacked and their data gets breached, right, the news story isn't necessarily company X got hacked, right? Mm -hmm. The news story is they were a victim of this Mimecast breach, and I think that that same thing applies whenever you're talking about Google and Office 365. Yep. And you know, if, we're, if we talk about like, let's say there is an exploit that exists for everybody in Office 365, which there are those vulnerabilities that exist, no question, right? Yep. If that gets hit, that's almost not, I don't want to say it's not your responsibility, but it kind of is, right? Like you can kind of look at it and say, well, Microsoft screwed up or Mimecast screwed up. And there's, there's a little bit of being able to sleep at night because of that too. Yeah, I mean, you're just shifting, shifting the responsibility, which in turn means shifting that blame on, you know, what, you know, I didn't mess up. I mean, my vendor, obviously, I expected better of them. Um, yeah, so. and, but you're and then you're just a victim. And that's like those companies that decide to go it alone. We have listeners of our webcasts and stuff all the time that are like, you know, I don't. Oh, God, of course, the phone has to ring. Uh, there but are. The um, news. The uh, people are like, hey, why aren't you talking about certain topics? No. Um, so, but you still have companies out there and you have infosec professionals that say, well, I don't trust it. The cloud is somebody else's computer. I'm going to build it from the ground up. If you're looking at complexity, the complexity of doing that is probably beyond most organizations' capabilities to do. And ultimately, if you're doing that, you're taking on that responsibility on your own shoulders. And that's the terrifying aspect of it. So this reminds me of uh, one of my favorite talks I ever saw at a conference was uh, the adventures of running your own email server, like your, yeah. your own email server and all oh, the things. Is. Yeah. Every single like aspect of running your own email server just teaches you to have someone else run your email server. That's the lesson. <laughs> that is, that is the only lesson. Yeah. I, I've personally been down this road of running your own email server and there's a lot of ins and outs and they're, uh, and while functional, when you think about 
all of the work required to just get email and then giving that to someone else, it's just so much easier. And, uh, you know, as a learning experience, I think everyone should go through that if they really want to understand this. And, and, but as, as like something you want to nurture, like growing a garden, it's, it's bad. Deal. Are you saying, are you saying it's kind of like InfoSec algebra? It's like, oh, you've got to, when am I ever going to use this? You may not, but you got to know it. That's well, really I important. Mean, there's gotta... pieces to that. There's some pieces to that, especially if you think about phishing, right? I think that you really want to kind of understand the mechanics of how email works and, um, you know, more than just sending it and stuff like that. It, it is kind of interesting. But I ran an email server from like 98 to 2005. And essentially, I just, I was a conduit for every single phishing scam or whatever that just completely <laughs> compromised. You were an open relay. I get it. I, I was sending hundreds of thousands of emails every month, essentially. That, that's fine. I can see you talking to management. So, Jason, give us some stats. Well, just so you know, we, we sent 200,000 emails on average per day last week, last month. But there's only three Great of job. us. There's only like 10 of us, but damn. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> it looks like uh, Ryan has the next story up. The world's largest dark web marketplace uh, shutters. Um, this is kind of like the Al Qaeda number two. It's like for years they were like the most dangerous job was being the Al Qaeda number two. And it seems like now the most dangerous uh, site to have online is to be the world's largest dark web marketplace. Uh, you really as soon as you're number one, it's just a matter of time before they actually shut you down. Um, so the name of it was a dark market. Uh, there was 20 of them that were actually seized. Um, and they arrested an Australian citizen living in um, Germany. And I know, Ralph, you spent a lot of time, you know, the, with the gray web and kind of looking through all of these different things. And you know, what, what do we learn from this? I mean, is there actually a lesson to um, from this other than kids don't do crime? I mean, you know, what, do we, what do we take from this as a whole? Here's a weird thing that I take from this, and, and don't take this the wrong way. I think that this is a problem with centralization, right? If we de decentralize some of this, and I'm not necessarily a supporter of this, you know, of crime on the internet, but let's be realistic, okay? This is going Wait, hold to... Wait, hold on, hold on. Ralph just said I'm not a supporter, but... No, but... <laughs> Well, hold on, hold on. You, yeah, yeah. I do not support it, and okay. I think it's stupid and all, all kinds of fun stuff. But all kinds it of fun is stuff. going to exist. It's going to exist. There's nothing. Uh, my thought or belief on the system is not going to change that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it, that that's we're going to see. It's whack a mole. You know, um, that that's kind of my my thought. And I think as more you whack the mole the mole is probably going to get a little smarter each time. So. Well, and that's one of the things I'm wondering is, do we actually see the moles getting smarter uh, with this? It seems like a lot of them, you know, set up on dark web or, um, you know, setting them up under Tor and all these different things. And do you actually see them improving the mechanisms they use to secure and kind of hide themselves? Or whenever you set up a marketplace that's that big and that's that complex, is it just almost impossible to completely hide yourself behind the veil of anonymity? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. I think it really is impossible to be absolutely hidden. And, you know, there, there's been tons. I've been to a couple of talks myself where they had OPSEC fails of either uh, these sites or, uh, you know, of people or, you know, uh, doing illegal activities while trying to be anonymous and what they did wrong. And like, you know, as far as that, and 
every one of those talks that I kind of hear, I'm like, I mean, the links it takes to really not mess up once it's, it's very difficult. Um, so, well, and it also gets into this myth of a lot of the people that don't understand it or it security very well at all. You know, they talk about, well, I'm going through multiple different proxies or they're using a browser from Tor that strips all this different JavaScript off of your web browser to reduce the likelihood of you actually being caught. What I think a lot of them don't understand is you can establish like a certain level of perfect anonymity online if you do everything right. But it basically renders your entire experience online to be almost unusable. Um, so if somebody's like, well, we're going to attack this website and we're going to do it through Tor, you're good. If you completely cut off all JavaScript, that's like 90% of the website. You aren't going to be successful in attacking that website. You just aren't unless there's something like keenly stupid, uh, that they mis- that they have for a mistake. So as a user, we're always trying to balance usability and security and the same thing with attackers and people that are trying to set these things up you have to make the marketplace usable and you have to make it secure and you have to remain anonymous those are three things that are usually fighting with each other very hard and it makes it exceedingly difficult to actually do that successfully as well well you may have had these news articles backwards yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter. I can see the ones. I can yeah. see the ones. The one that you posted up on the stream. Um, I can see that, and it's fine. Um, it was the one that you. Uh, it was the one that you had up, man. Uh, I just rolled with it. So the okay. the uh, the other piece of this is that um, they are dealing typically in some illicit activity that is not just electronic. Okay, so let's use some examples: selling drugs or other things like that. And so those are all real traces to figure out what's going on. Um, and so that, that becomes another piece of this where it's harder to keep the OPSEC there. So, Absolutely. Yeah, Jason. I, I just always picture the, the people in a room that say, you know what we should do? We should create the world's largest dark web marketplace. And then I'm like, okay, so we got to secure it, right? Like, like yeah. this is a massive project management thing that has happened here. And, and generally, and people that get into crime aren't big into project management. No. Just from my experience working with law enforcement, no. I, I've never heard of anybody like, well, we went into this particular gun smuggling ring and, you know, boy, lucky us. They had their Gantt charts up and, uh, you know, somebody was a lean Six Sigma black belt on this team and they had their CMMI level five uh, certifications for project. And there's people right now that are like freaking out and crawling underneath their desks and crying. <laughs> Um, just that's not how they work right but but i have seen the tv show the ozarks and so i just imagine (laughs) they they find people who are really smart who are intelligent and say would you like to make tons of money like is that how like is there a a dark web marketplace for smart people who are looking to get into crime yes there's (laughs) actually a dark web monster.com dark monster (laughs) it's evil indeed um, are the websites that you should go to. Evil Indeed. Yeah, oh, it's Evil Indeed. Evil Indeed is my new favorite. Yeah, it's, uh, so. it's not uh, .com, yeah. though. It's .onion, just for everyone. So. There you go, .onion. Evil Indeed, .onion. Mm-hmm. And uh, you upload your resume. Um, it's it's founded by the people from Cambridge Analytica. you got to submit your driver's <laughs> license. So oh, man. Remember. Yeah. Um, you don't have to. They to already the, have that information. You just submit uh, oh. Oh, my wings and my my wax are melting. Um, But it's uh, but yeah, that gets into a question of like, you know, crime. I I think that a lot of people don't understand how 
like if you're looking at like Eastern European crime, a lot of the people that got into that, they got into that because that was like the only thing that was available to them. Or if you look at African uh, attack groups, right? It's not like they have a lot of job options. And, uh, you know, I think that this is very attractive. It's like, you know, if you're in Africa, it's like, hey, you want an AK-47 and go through the jungle and be part of a civil war? Or I'm just mothballing. We put you in an air-conditioned RV unit and we have you hack people in the United States. I'm like, I'm taking the RV unit every single time. It's like, well, there you go. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, I mean, it pays because it's illegal, right? Let's just just be realistic. You know, yeah. it's profitable because it's illegal, and that's just kind of how it all works. And um, but to your point, there are a lot of things like you know people doing uh, illicit activities that it's like, well, my other choice was like really bad, so I chose. This. Yeah. <laughs> and that's generally crime, right? And yeah. then you got people like Kim dot com. Uh, it's like, oh my god, how did that guy end up with that much money from Mega? Crazy. Uh, there's a comment from the listeners it says years ago, there was a guy that listed his years of running logistics for a drug smuggling res- ring on his resume. Um, huh. mm. Mm. Successful drug smuggling. Mm. I mean, there's a I don't know if I necessarily I mean, thought that in prison. Yeah. yeah I, I do my live streams for job hunting and I, I yeah, I might, I might throw that in. Yeah, you don't. You never know. No, no, no. I'm better now. I'm better now. I'm better. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've decided that uh, I wanted to go legit. No, I have had a lot of people over the years though that approached me at Sans conferences, and they're like, "Hey, I want to let you know, uh, I'm in your class, and uh, love what you're talking about here, learning a lot." But I was actually an illegal hacker for years, and I'm wondering, is there a job opening at Black Hills Information Security for pen testing? And it's like. No, (laughs) you know, people get this myth in their head from Hollywood movies that you're you're a hacker and it's like, well, then the FBI is going to hire you. Um, I am absolutely certain that that has happened, but that's not going to happen to you if you're listening to the show. Like you're like, this seems like a career path, illegal hacking, FBI job. No. That's not how it's going to work. Well, maybe that project manager for the dark web operation, they're like, wow, well, you ran a fantastic thing here. Could you consult with us? Like, you know what? Yeah. Now that was that would surprise me less if somebody in the government is like, "Well, we had this guy that was running Escobar's complete drug ring, and damn, if it wasn't ran really well." And look at us in the government; we run things like you know, like a bunch of you know Keystone cops. Let's bring them in. Let's get some Gantt charts in this now. Uh, Gantt charts. So. We can fix everything. Fix everything. Fix everything with a Gantt chart. Uh, Ryan, can we bring up the uh, Pfizer data leak? Um, Let me try. I think this is post hackers leak cool. Pfizer COVID 19 data. I think I got the right one. Okay, cool. So I, I don't think this is a surprise to anybody, but like COVID trial data was spread to a lot of different organizations in the United States and Europe and in Asia. And it uh, looks like EMA, one, like one of their organizations, a European Medi- uh, Medicines Agency, uh, they basically broke in and they were able to pull in a bunch of data associated with the COVID-19 vaccinations. And I, you know, part of me, this sounds horrible, but they're like, yes, they stole the vaccine data. And now they've stolen it and spread it over the Internet. Now anyone can make the vaccine. It's like, good. 
that that's that's horrible, right? Because companies put a lot of money into that. But I think that the, what this highlights is that level of industrial espionage. Whenever you have something like a COVID nineteen vaccination, um, if you're defending that in your network, you better bring your A game. Uh, and we have a ton of customers at BHIS. Uh, like we had one two weeks ago. Um, and we were looking at their overall security posture, and it's like you are absolutely going to be a target for Russians and the Chinese, and you have out-of-date software, you don't have very good user awareness to phishing, and like their whole entire security architecture was a train wreck, and they would be considered like a critical infrastructure-type company. And kind of the point of this is, you know, we do a lot of security assessments – once again, if you're working with something that's really sensitive, don't don't be delusional and think they're not going to find you and come after you. They absolutely are. And we hear customers all the time that are like, what would anybody want with my company? You know, <laughs> we've got patents for concrete. It's like they absolutely want that. Um, so, you know, it, it's just that industrial espionage angle is something that I don't think enough people think about. Uh, Ralph, your take on that? Yeah, I mean that's the it's the it's the big thing, especially when we think like a broader scope. Okay, so like not Bitcoin or not uh, what do you call it ransomware? Like not ransomware outside of this, like bigger, like taking this picture bigger, and also other countries. Um, you know, we're we're starting to see that more and more too, um, and maybe more and more in the light as opposed to in the dark, where we're not finding out about these things or companies aren't reporting it because um, they're getting so big that we just can't avoid them. But yeah. Well, and I think that there's things like when you're talking about the COVID-19 data, it's very hard to just kind of sweep that under the rug. If you're a corporation <laughs> that has a better light bulb, you get hacked. It's like, well, we just won't talk about it. Um, yeah. But no, it, it's very I'm, tough. Go ahead. Go ahead. And, 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 and outside of the COVID-19, which is a big one too, but like to your point of like a better light bulb, of course, a country like China, for example, would love to steal that and just start making that thing. It helps them as a country continue to grow without having to actually create, um, you know, they don't have to pay for it and they just get to do that. Um, and so, yeah, why not? And, and I think we've talked about it on the show before. We don't know if China is the one that actually got the COVID data, but China is great at copycat, right? They steal the data and then they can replicate that. I mean, the pictures of here's a U.S. ship, here's a Chinese ship, they look identical or their planes look identical. You know, it's like, you know, they have a logo or something that says totally not an F-22 Raptor. It's like, you know, they – but look at the amount of time and effort that goes into R&D and the money. And if an organization can basically cut right to the front of that line and cheat, um, yeah. at, you know, why wouldn't you do that if there was very little, uh, very little likelihood uh, that there would be legal repercussions for it? So, Well, yeah, so, the government totally overpays for R&D. So, but even still, they spend a ton of money to build these things that have all these it, – it's just – and they can steal that. This is free money for them when they get the uh, designs. So. Yeah. Yep. So, John, one of the things that you mentioned is like this company went from, I mean, Pfizer is well known, but all of a sudden they became super important. And it's almost like the bands that, uh, like, all of a sudden they get a one hit wonder and they go from being like this band to playing this little like back end, like bar. And now they're like in the world and they don't know how to function yet. Yeah. They're like, oh, geez. Nirvana. Nirvana yeah. is a great example of that. So. Yeah. And, and so the security team, like if you're on a security team and you're like, oh, you know, we're just this, you know, it could one day you could become incredibly important. Like the security team at Zoom, I don't think they were expecting 
what they were going to have to do this year. And all of a sudden they had to do it and ramp it up and hire people and bring people into a culture. Like it's the human factor in all these things. Uh, all of a sudden. Well, it's, it, it, it is, you know, I think that that's a great point, but you'll also be judged harsher. Like remember there was security things. It's like, well, if somebody gets a hold of your other link, they can jump into your zoom meeting and that, well, what is zoom going to do to stop this? I could just see the security engineers. It's like, so you published the link to your meeting. You didn't put a password. <laughs> and people are jumping onto your meeting and showing various parts of their anatomy. What part of this is our fault? You know, it, it's yes. kind of hard, but you're going to be underneath that microscope, right? And, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's it's definitely going to have that level of uh, visibility. But, you know, Jason, working with a lot of companies that are small companies that are kind of in the process of exploding, and we start doing security stuff for them, right? There's this kind of mindset that sinks in with companies that are in the startup mode or they go IPO where you know, they're untouchable, they're bulletproof, right? So you go in and you're like, look, your security is ugly. Like your core network switch is a, freak, is a freaking Linksys switch from Walmart. And that's bad for a variety of different reasons. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had customers that'll say things like, well, we're generating a new paradigm shift in the way that people think about IT and all these different things. And they start believing their own bullshit. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I think that that's very easy for executives to ignore their IT staff, to ignore what security professionals are telling them, to somehow believe that they're going to not be hacked because why would the attackers ever come after them? And they're always surprised when the attacks actually come through. So that does sound like a one-hit wonder ban right there. It, exact, it sounds exactly like a one-hit wonder band. I've been following um, the, the lead singer and bass player for Eve 6. Um, he's been fantastic on Twitter, just telling all kinds of stories about the 90s and, um, when, you know, him and, you know, Matchbox 20 or 5. It was Matchbox 20, wasn't it? Matchbox 20, yeah. Yeah. Um, and they were touring together. It's great. If you want to check it out, it's the bass player from Eve 6. It's pretty good. So that's what I got for news stories. Do we have any comments or questions from the stream? Uh, not much. Someone likes my T-shirt, so thanks. Mm. Go ahead. I, I like your T-shirt. I like your T-shirt. I had one. I had one from last stream that we didn't talk about, uh, and that is uh, Unify got hacked. I guess. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, tell us about that. Whew. Yeah, so I'll put it in the. Uh, I'll put it in the news article. It was on Crabs, and there were some other people. So I we're we're fuzzy on details. But for anyone who doesn't know what when I say Unify, I mean the company's name is Ubiquity, um, but. They make a bunch of different products. One of them is Unify Line, and they're they are marketed as like prosumer. I kind of think they're enterprise, but whatever. Um, but they make a bunch of wireless gear. They make uh, router switches. Um, they also make a large variety of point to point um, uh, wireless systems. Anyways, they're so um, stuff at my house. I'm yeah, no, I've got a ton of those. <laughs> uh, so the uh, the big thing here is that they, I guess were compromised through a third party and exposed account information, supposedly hash and salted passwords. Um, but for most people, generally speaking, Ubiquity, Ubiquity's cloud offering is more of an authentication service than it is an actual hosting service, um, whereas you're actually logging on the devices that you own, so on and so forth. But the recommendation was to enable two-factor and change your password just in case. But... Oh, I like that. I like that. That's that's a good recommendation. So, but yeah, um, do have two factor. But... So I like their quote, and this gets into kind of how to handle 
uh, an incident properly. They say, we are not currently aware of evidence of access to any database that hosts user data, but we cannot be certain that user data has not been exposed. This data may include your name, email address, one-way encrypted password. Um, I, I don't know. Part of me, I hope that they honestly don't see any evidence and they're just going, doing this out of an abundance of caution, mm -hmm. uh, basically saying, go in and change your passwords. I think that's probably the right way to handle an incident is get out in front of it as quickly as you possibly can. Um, don't want to let this thing build up and then explode on you. Yeah, go ahead. I think I have an idea for a new T-shirt. Uh, change your password. <laughs> enable QFA. Perfect. I love it. I love it. Yes, let's go with that. That's that's not too bad. It's not too bad at all. That's that's some good design. You were in the zone today. I just in the zone today. Just just came to you. Yeah. When you got it, you got it, dude. Yeah, yeah. That's the just, theme just for 2022, 2021, The other thing too, you can also disable. People were talking about on Reddit and other places that you can just disable remote access. Like you don't. That's not a requirement for utilizing their products. It's just a feature mm -hmm. that is there. So you don't have to enable remote access. The, the big, the big problem would be is that if someone were to get one of these accounts, and let's say you have a whole network full of these things, maybe hundreds of devices, you immediately have kind of compromised all of their networking equipment and you could change a couple maybe rules or policies to, you know, get in. Um, but you don't have to have this cloud uh, feature enabled. So that's good. We got some, right, uh, that's all I got. We got some, yeah, votes go ahead. For you got the some shirt. comments. Yeah. Just some votes for the shirt. So I'm going to mock up some things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did they want it I, in I think black? it should be like almost like a generic, yeah, just a black shirt, straight white letters, you know, you know, just boom, 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 boom. That's it. That's all the shirt says. This just keeps it simple. That's it. That's it. So, right. that's it for me. All right, cool. Brian, are you ready to take us out, sir? Sure thing. Let's have some Do music. It, Do it. Do it, Ryan. It's, it's, it's time to go some chicken. <laughs> I don't know last time you went and did that I heard the dogs freaking out in the background <laughs> It's like god damn that's a big chicken <laughs>